Welcome to Tough Love Podcast with me, Mairead Lachman, matchmaker, dating specialist and founder of Love HQ Matchmaking. And me, Stephanie Wiegand, clinical psychotherapist and relationship specialist. Stephanie, we said we would start off this week about, you know, what's in the media. And I think something that has popped up a lot in the media is the housing crisis. Okay, I know it's to start on a negative Mm -hmm. note, but you and I are both seeing a lot of... basically people that are having to make life choices and relationship choices on the back of this their hands are tied they're stuck in relationships they're not able to move to the next stage of their relationships as a result what are you seeing yeah i think uh, you mentioned that and it's interesting again we're back to the the kind of the two 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 sides of things you know with the with the uh, the daters and if you like the couples and i suppose i tend to deal a little more with people who are um living with their parents or, yes. you know, step, first of all, they might be still with their parents mm-hmm. um, and not able to get out. And so in some ways, that's very difficult at the beginning because very hard to establish good relationships. You know, if you can't afford to rent and you can't find a place to rent. So it's not all about ownership. It's about being out there in your own place, in your own space. That's really important. And I see problems in that area for people. They're held back. Uh, I know they can go on nights out and all of that, but it's just a little bit different when you create your own space. It's almost a different level of maturing isn't it and yes. uh, then of course you have the couples who are saving and living with parents um, and I think all the attending pressures that are around that it's very difficult both I could say as a parent um, you know I, I'm often asked to give give little uh, quotes to different journalists around this when they're doing articles on it and I always yes. find myself thinking yes it's very hard on the young couple I get that but let me tell you it's also very hard on the parents because yes, I know because parents are happy for you to move on it's not that they don't love you anymore in the same way that you love them but it's just not the natural format to be a couple in your parents house and a lot of people are navigating that and it ain't easy. Um, if I can just say on a very light note, um, I heard a very uh, humorous uh, comedian speak about um, having sex while in very close quarters. In oh his case, he was mentioning with children. And um, and I suppose I'm thinking, I often think of couples in, in this scenario and it doesn't make for a big, you know, fabulous, healthy sex life. But he suggested that it was rather like having sex in the Mokanilok. Okay. If you if you ever remember that awful that awful tense in Irish that none of us yes. ever understood no, what no, we were no. doing. <laughs> <clears throat> no, it is. It's awful. Like I would say, like the figures are that in two thousand six the average first time buyer was twenty nine years of age. Yeah. So buying their first house. In twenty twenty two, so last year, the average age of a person to move out of their parents' home for the first time was twenty eight. Right. Now there is and a certain purchasing terms. Purchasing. No, that is just moving out. That's not even buying yeah. a house. So the yeah. average age of someone buying a house, I think, is in their thirties now at this stage. You know. Yes. And if yes. you think of it, okay, like we as we've evolved, we think that we're much further on in society. We think, you know, ladies have um, all these choices, independence, all of these yes. choices and everything, but they don't really. Okay. Like, because if you're living with somebody, there's people looking at you constantly, you know, regardless of how, you know, anytime I lived with my parents or moved back home for a couple of weeks in between traveling or jobs or whatever was going on, you know, like my parents wouldn't ask me where I'm going, but I'm sure there's lots of parents along the way that would have asked, yeah. where are you so going? What are you missing. doing? It really is. And Limiting then, their horizon. It really is. Um, I'm seeing a lot of my clients. Okay, I have clients of all ages. So yes, I'm seeing people 
that maybe they're separated from their partner they're trying to start back dating again if they're in their 50s and 60s yet they have like teenagers or early 20s or even 30 year olds living in their household and um, maybe they don't want to have that conversation with them you know and um, i'm also seeing a lot of people where they have to share houses this is very difficult at the beginning stages if yeah. it's your kind of first you know, a big break out into the big world and everything. Right. And um, I think there's a certain coming of age that needs to happen with humans, with teenagers, with 20 year olds that have to be there. So like we would have seen as well, like that whole ebb of society has been disrupted both from yes. the pandemic. COVID. Yeah, mm-hmm. COVID, not being able to go out, you know, um, so what if they were having a few extra drinks and maybe having a one night stand or kissing someone that they wouldn't normally have? And like, you know, Ireland is kind of a, a situation where there is a little bit of Dutch courage and everything. We did talk about alcohol in a previous podcast, but there yes. is a certain level. We're not great flirts. We do need a little bit of Dutch courage for the whole coming of age, the flirting, the relationship side of things. So then if you're com- if, if they didn't have that and now they don't have the option potentially to move in with each other, financially do they save for a house do they then move in with say the mm. full couple then i saw that in the Irish times this week i think um one of the agony aunts was talking about um not only are there there is their daughter living there in her early to mid 30s but her boyfriend now is essentially living there full time as well and it's yeah. a very difficult situation and it's having a very negative impact on dating. yes and if i may say there's another thing that couples the other flip side of it is that couples can be inclined young people can be inclined to slide into living together mm-hmm. because it's a little bit cheaper yes so these i've seen this happen quite a lot and and then they have in many ways become a couple and becoming a couple that live together is a very considerably more significant mm-hmm. in its dis- if when you go to the disentangling of that relationship yes. and i think often young couples don't realize that they've slid into something that's a little more serious um and they've yes. done it just because oh well sure look we'll share together i don't have a place yeah. you don't have a place let's do this that's that's and that's fine but i don't think it's the ideal in any way and it I don't sense difficulties later yeah i don't think anything unconscious to do with relationships is is ever good especially when it's a big decision like moving in together yes. getting married getting engaged getting pregnant you know those sorts yes. of things it's better off that it is a conscious decision and it's made and communicated Correct. well obviously and um, it is the healthier option but it must be very difficult for couples that are breaking up that do need time apart that do need to get the hell out of the house yes. um and they're you know stuck in a house with their ex with children yes. it's not healthy yes. for the kids as well <clears throat> if the couple is completely broken up how do they move on I do have a rule with Love HQ matchmaking that I will not take on anybody that is still living with their ex-partner. Yes, I remember and you saying that, Mairead. Yeah, and, and I, I, I basically set up the whole of Love HQ and all of the mm. different um, rules around it based on the fact that of how I would like the service if I was doing it. Um, and yeah. I think it's really important that, um, that that is the case. Now, I've come into a few... I would say heated discussions from people saying, well, why won't you take me on? And, you know, whatever. That is the rule, okay? That's just, Mm. if you want to come and join us, that's fair enough. I would Mm. not want to date someone that was still living with their ex-partner. And it is as simple as that. It's, there is not that clear connect, um, disconnect. You know, the patterns have not been broken. There is still 
too much entanglement and I, yes. I don't think it's, it gives a good place for starting again. Yeah, and, and in many ways, I completely agree with you there. I think, I think though, in light of what you're saying about the housing, you can see that there, there's a greater motivation greater inclination in people to stay put uh, to to maybe make the verbal agreement that they're no longer a couple um, mm -hmm. and then to navigate the household together. So you're possibly possibly going to see a little more of that as people struggle through. So, yeah, I think it was, you know, we really just wanted to mention that. Maybe can I mention one other thing that came uh, to me this week around housing? And it was that um, uh, around the idea of parents helping Yes. young people with their sort of financially and mm -hmm. um, and really helping them, gifting them towards buying, you know, and helping them to buy houses. Yes. Um, which, of course, is very, um, is a very lucky thing if your parents yes. can do that. And um, we're hearing that as many as 60% of first-time buyers are getting help with, from their parents in order to do, to make that first purchase. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you're in a very lucky position if you if your parents can do that for you. But I found myself thinking, you know, do parents feel a pressure to do that now? And, and or do younger people feel that they're in some way, you know, this can set up a bad dynamic where, where young people can feel sort of that there's that this is our money we're just kind of waiting for it um i think you have to be careful around that in what you expect obviously mm -hmm. parents have to be careful in terms of the expectation that they set up with their kids uh, i think it's really important that parents think about their own money as theirs unless they absolutely have excess because otherwise there's all sorts of unforeseen in life yes that and I certainly don't think they should feel pressure. I think it's fabulous to be able to gift to your children, but it has to be a gift. And a gift is not something that is expected or certainly, um, how would I say, that one feels entitled to. I recently came across a situation where um, the financial situation of the couple was together, merged together. Yes. Um, and the reason the topic came up was I was a financial advisor for years. Um, so I think that's why they spoke to me about it. But they, one of the parties had gifted a significant amount of yes. money to both of their children and had not discussed it with the other the partner. Others. With mm. the other partner. And it was half oh, their right. money. Yes. And so it has caused a huge issue um, mm -hmm. within the house. And it's kind of been told, well, tough, you know, I retired and that's it. But what they didn't, what they're yes. not forgetting about is previously the other party's retirement fund had been used for a renovation of the house. So, yes. you know, yes. that sort of thing. So, and it's so just... It's the matter of equality. I mean, yes. first of all, what you're saying there is, I mean, if you're a couple, you make these decisions together. together. That, that was a massive breach. It was done view. without any conversation. Yeah. That's a huge sense of entitlement to manage your money and to not refer to your partner in any way, which is not fair. Yeah. But, but there's two other things about that gifting, I think, is that... First of all, you must gift to your siblings if, you know, siblings must be equal. Yes. That's really important. Well, they well. did give that equally, but equally. they just forgot to tell one of the parents. That exactly. they I get that this. in that instance. And the other thing is that if what I see a lot, funny enough, and I've dealt with this, I would say 10 times in this kind of sessional room. Um, and it is that if you gift money to one party, let's say to the girl, she's your daughter. <laughs> but the in-law then, her husband, has to deal with this inequality between you. Oh, and yes. it does shift the power a little bit. And as I say, in the rosiness of the early days of love, 
everything will be fabulous. But don't you tell me that that's not going to come up in a row after a while. Um, who's who's mm-hmm. who, who got this house? Yeah. How could we have done it without my father's money or my yeah. mother's money? I think these things are very, very difficult. And when you gift, you can call like that. You can cause a real imbalance in the power in the relationship. So I, I, I would be super careful about that. Plus, of course, they can separate and then all your money goes, as they say, splits between the two of them anyway. So you got to think about lots of those things. So there's so much, isn't there? Every time I I know and it's so funny because this was supposed to be like a side note of part of our podcast, but there's so much to talk about in all different topics, which is great. And again, if anybody's ever listened to our podcast and would like us to touch on a particular issue that's current to you and your life at the moment, please get in contact with us at toughlove.ie. Stephanie, this week we said we would talk about um, men, dating from a men's perspective. Yes. You're seeing a lot of us. I'm seeing a lot of us. Dating from a men's perspective. And I suppose also what we're what we're really wanting to look at is just how very different we are one from the other. Isn't that it? The male... The male and female. And maybe even just before, just before we start that, can I just mention this? I know it was something that came up this week and it was in relation to oxytocin because oh, we yes. talk about it loads, don't we? You know, we're always talking we about oxytocin and um, and how it's the love hormone, of course, mm-hmm. and how people see it as so key to bonding. And it is. And it's very useful and very helpful. But there's been some um and I won't go into all of the detail of it because but it's very interesting. It's 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 done on these um mouse-like rodents. They're called prairie voles. This is where they do a lot of analysis around behaviour. Okay. Yes. We would see them like mice, but they're not quite quite mice, special mice who bond and, and share very well together and work. So they put them together like little couples. And the, what they did was they neutralised the effect of oxytocin in their genes. So they reproduced. Okay. But without the ability to produce oxytocin. And what they were really surprised at was that they bonded just as well. Oh, isn't that cute? That was kind of, that's isn't really that cute? cute. Yes, yeah. says Mairead. I know. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting, isn't it? And it really so, is. Yes. And they repeated the experiments, you know, to confirm the finding and to see that they were just as bonded. They, they, so they were wondering, so, so what's going on here? What mm-hmm. else is happening? And they said that, well, you know, what we've really learned most of all is that there's not a single kind of pathway to bring up that whole bonding sort of response. And that in the absence of one, others come up. Yes. Come into play. And I thought that was really interesting for us who talk a lot about about love. So while 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 oxytocin is important, it's it's about maybe number nine on the list. There's nope. so many. Um, I had a neuroscientist, Sabrina, Bren- Dr. Sabrina Brennan on my podcast would like to meet um, last year. And we talked about all of the different hormones and we have things like dopamine, your adrenaline, vasopressin is the male hormone, we'll say, that bonds people. Um, And there is a bit of magic, but there's so much if you actually read about them, because I went down like a big rabbit hole before on oxytocin and dopamine. And if you actually read and study them, it's fascinating. Um, And it, it really makes you aware of how much of love and how much of your bonding and falling in love and dating and everything is mm-hmm. actually unconscious. And it's of really course. good to see it. Like even so much so that if you see a photograph or see your person 
the person that you are in love with. It can act as a painkiller. This is oxytocin. Yes. Um, you know, it can de-stress you, but also it helps with the long-term survival of relationships. And yes. so it's so important to kind of be aware of these things. Like if you are in love or if you are in a relationship or if you'd like to fall in love, maybe have a little look at it because so much of it is just the loveliness that is around love yes. and dating. Yeah, love and dating, of course. And also, maybe it's just important to remember that that whole kind of building secure sort of bonds together, you know, it doesn't come down to simply the physicality. People talk an awful lot about, you know, oxytocin and I do too because I think it's very useful very helpful Mm -hmm. but it's not the only way and we are we form bonds for many other reasons you know we know that we need this we are drawn to each other there's there's all sorts of other things happening within us all of which is being you know as they say studied one after the other but I just thought that's an interesting little piece about oxytocin and well worth sort of just remembering it's not everything because there's many other ways that we bond and connect. Okay, so on to the men. Oh, on men, to men. yes. Differently. How men, How men date. And date differently. Yes, absolutely. Okay, over to you, Mairead. Yeah, I see it quite differently on the initial stages of dating. So yes. I obviously have a huge amount of males on my books from all walks of life, of all age groups and everything. Um, and, you know, the they can sometimes be a little bit frustrated because they're expected to be the gentleman. They're expected to hold the door open. And then some ladies say that it's quite insulting that this happens in 2023. Now, I don't know who these ladies are because I certainly don't want to meet a lady that thinks that a man being a gentleman isn't exactly what it is or doesn't take it in the energy that it's given. Yes. Um, but some of the things that come up during my consultations with men, um, and they seem to come up quite regularly. The first mm-hmm. being um, that a lot of times men are expected to make the first move. Like so much of the initial stages is just expected from the man. Now, if we're coming from a point of, especially during the whole time of the Me Too movement, a lot of men at that time were saying to me, I'm really scared about making the first move, especially if I work with them. I'm in some sort of, you know, swimming club or triathlon club or cycling club whatever it is I find it really difficult to make the first move we often see in social media things that say if he wanted to he will Mm -hmm. I do understand there is a certain amount of you know let the man do the chasing there is a, a very small element of that okay but what I often see is women expecting men to give to come over like walk across the room ask them on a date without any Encouragement verbal or, or non-verbal encouragement, kind of mm. um, giving them any sort of signal that they might be interested. And the amount of times that ladies say to me, you know what, I was out on Saturday night and nobody chatted me up. And I'm like, well, did you make eye contact with one one guy? Just even yeah, yeah. one guy. Yeah. Did you smile at him across the bar? Did mm. you make sure that you were not like sitting down the very back of the bar, mm. 10 deep? In a group of women, you know, all of those things. So I think what ladies need to do is I'm not saying you need to make all the first moves, but I do certainly think you need to give them some level of indication that you like them. And I also think you need to expect less, like as in, I don't think you Mm. they should have to lead every single time. Why not kind of meet them 40 percent of the way or even half? halfway you know just don't expect that they're going to do absolutely everything. Also, even some of the most fabulous men that come to me, they 
treat them so treat these ladies that I'm sending them on dates it's so well first date second date third date they've paid first date second date third date they've come up with suggestions through talking to me and on their own to organize the second third fourth date yet there is no offer from the lady sometimes to pay there's no offer and it's not a case that they want them to there's no offer to suggest another date they're just enjoying the Disney princess movie side of things but actually mm. looking for a partnership mm. so you know so two things, a few things come to me, and I know we've we've talked about this in different ways and different times, but the way you put it there to me, do you know, I think we can all be stuck with the Cinderella complex, you know, yes. that we that uh, we've been told that story, um, which is wildly out of date and mm. um, and we've also grown out of it and we want to be people who are, you know, in charge of our lives and and taking control of our lives. And when it comes then into the dating world, it's almost like we, we all go a little bit backwards in time. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we kind of want you know, women like maybe like the energy of having a man do everything. And and yes. there is this sort of conflict, really, with the who we are and the yeah. competent people we've become. And so it's about finding that that kind of balance. But mm -hmm. I think you need to check yourself. And I think that's what what you're saying. Women, we can do with. Well, I'm not on the dating circuit, but I can I'm able to dispose of our disperse advice. Absolutely. That's my, yeah, that's but I understand. Game. Yeah, and, of course. Yeah. And funnily enough, I also had, had I suppose I always felt I had that extra experience in dating because I I suppose because I separated at, at about 32 <laughs> and I was back dating until I was 36. So I got that yeah. sort of second run at it. With of course. A, with a much clearer mind, yes. and I'm sure, I'm sure it made me um, much more effective in in that sense. But and 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 so I think you do have to revise the way you're approaching things. And Absolutely. I meet men. You know, you mentioned there about the men being under pressure to make the first move, not getting any, um, not getting any sort of encouragement in any way along the way. And uh, and then women have the conflicted kind of message that men like the chase, you know, they don't like to be chased. And but you see, I think that's changing very much. I think I that's do. slightly old hat. Um, I think that men are, they certainly don't want to be, um, how would I say, emasculated in any way. They don't want their masculine power mm -hmm. kind of taken from them in any way. I, I, I don't, I think, I think women coming on strong is great fun when you're in a relationship. But I think at the beginning, they might there like... There is a dance that has to be like done. They like the dance. Yes. Ex absolutely. We don't, they don't want to go straight in. It's not games, the, yeah. Yeah, it's not games. Want, it's a dance. They want they want a dance, a, a dance where the where the power and the shift of the shift of initiation mm -hmm. goes from one to the other, and uh, and I think that leaving it all to men is very hard on them. And men are not all cocky and confident. Lots of them are struggling out of very Absolutely. tough relationships. And and I know I'm always saying this here because I I deal a lot with men and and I find them uh, very hurt very uh, inclined to be sometimes compliant in a relationship that maybe they shouldn't have been in or stayed in. Mm -hmm. um, and they're navigating as well. You know, they're coming through. Some 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 guys are people pleasers. Some guys are inclined to um, to accede rather than di direct. And exactly. So so everybody don't paint everybody with the same brush. Yeah, I will just do a side note there that for if because if men are listening to the podcast, they do want ladies want a man to lead. OK, they want yeah. them to be capable of arranging a night out. They also want a man that can be a provider, especially if they are looking to meet someone to have a family with. Yes. But 
what I'm saying to women is don't expect it all. You know, you need to meet them halfway at some stage. You need to appreciate it. At least offer is what I'm saying, you know, and make it a little bit easier on them. If you like the person, don't like be like play the hard game. Actually, just be gentle and feminine and soft and lovely. And I think younger men, if I may say, are absolutely clear as a whistle on that. They expect 50-50. They don't mind paying first time out. That's how it goes. Or but they 50-50, they expect women to work. They, you know, mm-hmm. so they're on the equal page. But yes. you're going to meet men, you know, and women who have who are a little older, a little more mature, who are back out on the market, um, trying to meet um a partner. And and they are coming with some of that older sort of perspective because yes. they've been around the course once and um, and it's quite difficult for them to get right, you know, to be very much the initiator now. And that can be difficult for them because maybe they haven't been around dating people for 20 years. And men and women are just, we're so different and we just have You're to allow for that. That's really it. allow for that. And you often talk about the male energy and the female energy. And I think that's a dance too, you see. Well, that's it. That's actually one of the points that I have here. And, you know, I think it is important that we kind of, one, are aware of it. I think both male and female should be aware of masculine energy and feminine energy. And both people, you know, everybody has all of them, you know, a a little bit here and a little bit there, depending on the task and everything like that. But again, just to remind you that like, Men are in the most case, and like we do say the probability. So everything we say in this podcast is the, you know, the higher probability side of things. But in the most case, men are looking for a feminine lady. And in the most case, ladies are looking for a masculine man. And it is as straightforward as that. And so very often when ladies are going on their dates, what they're finding is that they are, what men are saying to me is they just come across quite like it's an interview sometimes when some women are going Mm. on the dates. And what happens is when they're very nervous, very often when I meet people for a consultation, they say to me, you know, I'm a, naturally I'm an introvert, but in work, I'm an extrovert. And that's because they've had to push themselves. They've had to push themselves into a masculine energy zone. And very often what happens then is when they're out on their dates, but when they're nervous, they default into their work mode because that's their most confident or most comfortable kind of mm-hmm. stage. So Spence. again, if ladies, if you're going on dates, you know, what I would say to you is, Try and be your most feminine self going on the date. It's like that if a guy came in on a date and he was very, you know, in his feminine energy, it's not going to have the same attraction when it's a first, second, third date. Mm-hmm. So just watch your energy and and be the most feminine version of yourself. I say fun, feminine and flirty. I think they're the three things mm-hmm. that are most important. Okay, so the dating, that's um, probably where the real differences are, you're mm-hmm. saying. And uh, I suppose I'm thinking, I found when I was thinking about this, Maraid, I was thinking about how men are different. Yes. How how they think differently. See, I've, mm-hmm. I, I know I, 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 I'm very positive about men, actually. I, I often think about how men are different. You know, I, I was listening to something the other day and, and it described the man's brain and the woman's brain in a very simple way. And it said, if you, if you envisage a man's brain, it's, all a little filled with a little series of boxes. Yes. And they open them one at a time and they never let the boxes touch each other. They are completely uh, individual and separate. And 
And I know that's a simplistic, you know, sort of image, but nevertheless, it is an image that helps you to see and relate to the way that men focus. They can take out one box and they can focus on that box. And we know that men are very good at, at focusing on one task at a time. Women, on the other hand, if you look at, at their brain in, in one sense, it is very um all those, it's not boxy, it's all wired together and yes. it's all, all sections interconnect. Yes. And that's why women can attend to more details and more things at the one time. So they can, they can overview more. They can, we, we, I always think of it as the attention mm-hmm. that you need to nurture. Children, yes. Women have that. And, but it's, so these are all good points. They, that's why they're very good um, at a very senior level in organizations, because when they get to the top table, they're very good at getting people to think about the big picture, even when the task has to be done. So you mm-hmm. have others to do the task and focus and women bring, always bring the conversation back to the bigger picture and maybe even to the more important overseeing point. So the, so they're the big pluses of each. Men are yes. great at getting things done, uh, individual things done, and women. And this, remember, is a continuum from zero to 100. So we all go a little bit along the way. We're not, it's, we're talking about averages here, and we all have a tendency that is different. But the, 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 the underside of that is that women tend to ruminate more. They go okay. back over things more. Yes. You, they think about things more. They think about hurts more. Mm-hmm. They think about insults more. They for store men, them. They store them because mm-hmm. they keep getting activated. And one of the reasons for that is that we know that women are a little more emotional and more attuned mm-hmm. to their emotions. And when they remember something and when you put the emotion with it, that that makes a stronger memory for men. And we all know, as you, you know, men are different, they can let something go more easily, which is a great plus in an argument, which is a great plus in a relationship yes. that if something is done, it can be over. But for women, it's not really over. They mm-hmm. continue to think about it. They continue even to resent it. And they yes. continue to want to bring it back up. So they, the unresolvedness for them. So what I'm really saying there is there's pluses and minuses to each of our own characteristics. And I hear quite a lot about, I mean, I, I spoke with a girl um, a little bit ago and she had um, actually become become gay in her sort of 40s. And uh, and I remember saying to her, you know, and she'd been married, etc., you know, and had children before that. And I remember saying to her, but how do you ever get over the rows? Because, because you have two women now and they Never stop going over the same kind of yes, thing. Yes, rehashing. Yeah, uh, she 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 actually completely acknowledged it. She said, "You're absolutely right." She said, "It's yeah. a really difficult part of those relationships." I thought that was I, quite interesting. That's very interesting. I saw something recently that says that men tend to communicate shoulder to shoulder, and women tend to ca- communicate face to face. So if you look at mm-hmm. how men meet up and socialize together, yes, they tend to sit at a bar chatting. So even if they are in a bar chatting and not looking at a screen, they tend to be shoulder to shoulder and looking into the bar. Um, Or if they're at a football game, they're sitting, you know, in the stand, shoulder to shoulder, looking at the football game. Mm -hmm. That's how they tend to communicate. Whereas women go for like afternoon tea or a coffee and they'll face each other. And so it's a different type of communication. And I actually thought that kind of helped with kind of what you said there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it captures something. Yeah. 
And it's also that men don't need to be face to face with mm -hmm. you all the time. They're not that comfortable with that. Um, I'm not saying in a dating way they are, of course, mm -hmm. but, but if they're being intimate and personal in their relationships with their friends, they tend to do it through something. You know, through, yes. the, through, through the football, whereas women tend to share a lot. We, you know, tell a lot to each other about our lives, about our emotional lives, how things are going mm -hmm. right and wrong for us. Men don't share that as easily, but they do get there with each other in a particular way. We see this in the way men process grief, for example. Yes. Women need to speak about it and say it and 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 put words on it. Men tend to really, they, they have the desire to do, but they, and they do like to talk about it, but they don't need to talk about it as much. So men yes. don't need as much articulation of things mm -hmm. as women do. Um, yes. And that comes out in the arguments, if you if you think about that. Also, that that when when women, I know we did a whole thing on arguments a while ago, so not to repeat, but 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 when um, when women are arguing with their partners, they tend to just want to be heard. They want to explain it. They want you to yes. understand them. But men, on the other hand, come in and, as they say, with, you know, the hammer, hammer and scissors and they want to fix it. They want to yes. find a solution. They want to they want you to stop crying so they can see what they can do. And yes. but women want to just express it and be heard. So yes. there's, these are where we clash and where we hit hit off wrongly, uh, you know, of each other. So where where our characteristics can come against us, and I think it's really important to recognise those differences. Um, if I may say yes. one more, because just yes. the pop popping into my head rather than um, another is um, I see it a lot with housework. People, mm -hmm. uh, women giving out a lot about men and housework and how they don't don't seem to notice the jobs that need to be done. The reality is just exactly back in the box. If you ask them to open the box to, <laughs> that relates yes. to housework, next thing you'll find they'll have found four solutions. But you have to you the, the, you cannot expect them to notice everything that you notice because we are different. Yes. Women women tend to. Things so they have that varied sort of elaborated attention span. Mm -hmm. Men, on the other hand, they focus on the one thing, and if you ask them to focus on the shopping, they'll do it right. If you ask them to focus on the the um, what clothes are needed, they'll yeah. do it right. They'll set up a system, and they'll put name tags on them, and they'll have it all sorted. But they won't do it by in the intuitive way that maybe you will. And that is not a failing in them. That is a difference. Can I just say, Mairead, I think I think one of the things we're really trying to kind of pick up on here is that the perspective that men have when they go on a date is quite mm -hmm. different to the yes. perspective that women have. Absolutely. And it's, it's really, I suppose, we're trying to, to give back a little bit mm -hmm. of what we have picked up that is difficult yeah. for men. And one of the things I mentioned to you, I know at, a, at one point was this sense of checklist. And I've had, I've actually had a few guys contact me after that pre one of the earlier recordings that might have been breakups mm -hmm. or power, and um, who have contacted me and very specifically around um, the initial dates and said, which I found very touching. And they said, you know, they'd come out of, of uh, really, you know, difficult marriages where they had really um, persevered for a long time. And and then they found themselves on dates. And these are young guys, you know, before, yeah. you know, when I say young guys, they're not in their 20s, obviously, yes. they're married. But they were more like the 47 um, mark. And, uh, but very much looking for love. And remember, these, these are people who have maybe 
been contending with a relationship with no love for a long time. Of course. And then they go out on a date. They're prepared to be the, the, the be all and the end all and do it all right. And they're, you know, excited. Really yeah. Up up for a lovely time and uh, and giving this this girl a nice date and really trying to enjoy it. And and they find themselves interrogated. Yes. And they find themselves justify having to justify themselves why they're 47 and and what have they been doing since and was there anybody else? And and it feels mm -hmm. wrong. So so I suppose what it what I'm saying is be careful. You're not the only one with a story here. I know. And I think everybody has a story and it's not don't project onto the other person all your fears and doubts about men or vice versa. And maybe you're inclined to. We're all perhaps inclined to. But check yourself. I find this as well. And I suppose it's the reason why we're doing this podcast is one to maybe help ladies with maybe some of the pitfalls from dating that we hear that kind of annoys men or makes them a little bit more, I suppose, aware mm. or cautious of dating that person. Yeah, guarded. Absolutely. Mm. Mm -hmm. And also from the male perspective to kind of say, we hear you, you, you know, we know what's we see it as professionals. And like, this is why we're trying to help you. But yes, you're right with the checklist. Um, very often when I go to match two people, the, the lady much more often would say he sounds fabulous. Why is he single, though? Yes. And like maybe he chose to be single. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's just out of a relationship. Maybe there's like one thing that I have definitely learned from being a matchmaker and matching 7000 people in so many years is really that there is no rhythm. Everybody has a life story. And that's yes. the thing. It's just stop looking for fault in other people. Again, the checklist, are they going to be good enough? And some of it, make the list. Yes, absolutely. Be very clear on the type of person you'd like to meet. And now go back through the list and see how much of it is superficial, nonsense, bullshit, basically, mm -hmm. that is actually completely irrelevant to you finding mm -hmm. love. Think about how much of it is absolute nonsense that you write down yeah. on this wish list. But isn't that, um, isn't that made very, I mean, it is kind of judgmental, I think. Um, first of all, you have to have a history and a story. Yes. And uh, to say, well, so why are you single? Well, well, why are you single? That's the other question. Yeah. I mean, you're still out dating. What are you doing? You know, yes. I mean, that's not a nice way to look at it. I look at mm -hmm. it always as it's a very, uh, the story of our lives is a very evolving story. And mm -hmm. um, and none of it, we learn a lot as we go. The only real sad part is if you can't learn or you're not able to make the yes. adjustments that help you to choose better, do better. Mm -hmm. But you know, you often talk about kindness and I must say, I picked that up from you. You know, I, I, yeah. I find that from you. You give off that energy that you you're kind about it. You you know, and you I have to be everybody comes with their be. own story. Yes. yes. But but people need to bring that, you know, to 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 get away from the defensiveness, to get away mm -hmm. from from the seeing people through one lens. And and you need to to look at everybody individually and and recognize yes. they have a story just like yourself. And maybe they're not ready to tell you your, their whole story. Yes. Maybe they don't want to tell you. And and I don't think you have any entitlement to it. Um, we've uh, we've discussed that before too. We and have. And so that's a reiteration, but I think it's really no, important. No, but I think it's very important that we bring it in at this stage. Something that I very often have on the follow-up to a date. Okay, so I ring everybody after all of their dates to see how they got on. Mm -hmm. And they very often say to me, I got on great. He's fabulous. He's absolutely wonderful. But... um. It just concerns me a lot on whatever it is. It just concerns me a lot that he doesn't get to see his children. It just concerns me a lot, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Okay. And mm -hmm. the, I understand, listen to potential red flags. Absolutely. Sure. But also understand 
that people and I very often do know the full story. And you know what? Sometimes I may have said to them, that's possibly not a first date story to go into. It's a big conversation as well. A man likes to be a man. So like, you know, if it is something especially to do with their kids, very often from telling me they could have gotten quite upset telling me this. Mm. So I'm going to say to them, look, you know, they might ask around just try and maybe manage the conversation Yes. Try then and maybe change the subject or something. If it comes up, don't lie about it. If it comes up, don't like knock it down straight away. But mm. maybe say to them, look, can we look talk about that at a later date? And yeah. next thing I have a lady coming back to me saying, oh, that's a serious red flag, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, it's not a serious red flag. You don't know no. the whole situation yet. He's definitely worth getting to yeah. know a little bit more. Yeah, but but her error is thinking that it's okay to ask questions that go that deep into a person's history. Listen, I'm a psychotherapist. I wouldn't do it. I know. And so that's the thing as well is the expectation. And I see this very often. I see people wanting to know absolutely everything. Well, tell me everything. Tell me everything. Tell me everything. And it's like, wait a second. Kindness. Mm. There was no other red flags. Yes, absolutely. So from the male perspective, I suppose we're just trying to put forward that we do recognize the differences. Yes. Between us, we approach things differently. Um, I I think that I, I have a very sympathetic ear for men, um, especially so young men and middle, middle, you know, sort of in the middle sides of things, because I think that the male role has changed so rapidly mm-hmm. over uh, the last sort of 20 years. And yes. Um, we know that we know that 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 um, for I think I think it's actually correcting itself now. I think men are becoming a little more secure now in their role. Mm-hmm. But there's been there was a terrible period there where where I, I think they're they were very unsure. Women were flying forward and, and men were almost not sure what they were there for. In that's in the in the sense of relationships, if women have all their money and they can have children on their own and everything else, what mm-hmm. do they need them for? But what's very clear is maybe it's even more clear that why do we need a partner in our lives? Why do we like a partner in our lives? Because it's somebody to share happiness with. It's somebody in your corner. It's somebody, obviously, to have great intimacy and build build lovely memories with. And can I say one? Crack with. There's no greater feeling in the world than being in love and having your very special person. All of a sudden, the stresses you have in work are no longer as stressful. That's right. You know, so there is no greater feeling in the world than being in love. And I can understand why people do put a lot of effort into it. And I think it's important to put a lot of effort into it and prioritize it. And we're having the conversation to be generous to both people, understanding what we're seeing from the male perspective, as well as, you know, um, being generous to the gentleman. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Have a good, have a good summer of first dates. Absolutely. Enjoy the magic. If you've enjoyed this episode of Tough Love, please go on to either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please, and give us a five star rating as well. If you would like to have a private consultation with myself and Stephanie, we have consultations every week on toughlove.ie for the month of June and July. We are doing them for half price, trying to spread a bit of love and happiness all around this beautiful island of Ireland. See you, Maraid. See you, Stephanie.